You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, coming to you on Thursday, January 11th, for our first episode of the new year. We've got a lot to catch up on as we go over all the recent signings that bring RIFC's roster to 15 players so far. We'll discuss what we think the starting 11 looks like and share what we've learned about the upcoming preseason as the club gets ready to play its first match against New Mexico United in just 64 days. To go over all of that is my very refreshed-looking co-host, Jason Carey. Jason, how is it going, my friend? Uh, going pretty good. Um, refreshed, maybe because I slept for a long time yesterday. <laughs> just just yesterday? I guess we had a break. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I, I mean, you... Yeah, we haven't recorded in, what, two weeks? Three weeks? Has it been that long? <laughs> I swear we were just doing our emergency pod, like, yesterday. I mean, it's been a whole year since we recorded a podcast. Oh, man. Do we even have listeners anymore? <laughs> well, luckily for them, I mean, we did have the pre-recorded content with our interviews with Mayor Grebian from Pawtucket, uh, from the city of Pawtucket, and then also, of course, the the secret treat being uh, co-founder and co-owner Michael Parkhurst uh, and, you know, getting to sit down with him. We got a lot of praise and a lot of uh, additional questions, actually, from the Parkhurst interview as he kind of opened up a little bit more about the inner workings and kind of what the intent and plan is behind the club in both this year and, and kind of the years to come. I was really bummed that you weren't able to to make either one of those uh, interviews. I, I It's it's always more difficult when my co-host, who can kind of complete my sentences, isn't there when I want to interview somebody. So I was, I was struggling a couple of times with Mike. Sorry, buddy. I think you did a great job, though. Yeah, just, you know, my job is not always flexible, so just can't always drop 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 anything you know and just get get where i need to be sometimes so i mean it's been we're what almost two weeks into the new year though how how has the new year treated you so far is it a new year new you i'm not a big on new year kind of in, in that regards of like you know it, the calendar has changed but i'm not i don't have any new year's resolutions or things like that i've got some things that i am working on that I like you take stock them continuing to do these things, but I'm not like, this is going to be my year kind of thing. So, so you're not thinking about trying out for a, a position of need as a backfill for Rhode Island FC somewhere on this <laughs> roster. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I would love to get back in shape, you know, and maybe kick some soccer around, but, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm too old, man. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> You know, I was just looking, uh, one of the oldest players in the USL championship, I think is 37 or 38. So don't, don't short your, or don't sell yourself short over there. There's a, there's an opportunity there. We're only like six consecutive injuries away from needing to call technical staff like ourselves into the game. I wonder if it's like a trade-off where I just, I, I, I look a lot younger than I actually am. So it doesn't work out for me. Whereas like someone like Scott Carson, who looks like he's 48, but he's actually only like 32 and has already won like two champions leagues. You know, it's like, that's how he got it. You're going to look old, but you're going to win two champions league. Which way would you rather have it? Your current situation or be a champions league winner? I think I'll take the medals. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, just because he looks old doesn't mean he doesn't look good. So moving on to more serious things. Uh, like we said, it's it's been a while since we've had a chance to sit down with listeners and share. Uh, so we've got a lot to cover. This will not be a two-hour episode. We can promise that. This should be back to your normal broadcasting times. But we do have a lot to jump into. So some of it may be things that, you know, the, the more uh, ingrained or or fans that are paying really close attention to the club uh, are aware of. And then some of this may be new for the more casuals that like to listen, as well as some of the new listeners we've got because of the interviews with Mike and uh, Mayor Grevian. So uh, before we do all that, I do want to actually say something really interesting that I found out right before we recorded the podcast. We now have almost all of our players, with the exception of a brand new signing, who we will talk about later in this episode, but we now have a majority of the players on site and ready to report to medical uh, this weekend. Uh, I, I can confirm that Koke, Vegas, and Mark Doyle both showed up and landed at TF Green earlier today. So for those of you trying to like, hey, like, how can we catch these players as they land? You've you've missed that opportunity this time around, but maybe next year we can, or the next big signing, I guess I could say, I could say we we can see if we can we can make something special there. But we have all the players here now. They're all mostly secured in their housing. Uh, they're ready to rock and show up for that for that medical evaluation. Ironically, as I was looking at the schedule, though, their first day to report in for training, not medical, is this Monday. And this Monday is the celebrated day or honored anniversary of Martin Luther King. So RIFC is putting their players to work on a holiday. At least, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but they say that they're starting their work week next week as far as reporting to training. So it has not been made clear to me if they're playing, if they're planning a practice on Monday or not. So that's how dedicated they are is they're working right through the holidays that the rest of us try to take off. Yeah. I mean, uh, no rest for them. They need to get started. I mean, I'm off on Monday, so maybe I'll just like shoot up to confirm if that happens at Bryant, you know I mean? Yeah. I'll just start driving around looking at soccer fields. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but all jokes aside, we do have a lot to cover uh, with the news and with these players signing. So you ready to jump into this? Let's do it. All right. So first things first, kind of something out of left field. And I'm sure some listeners will be scratching their head why we're even covering this. Um, But there's a new kid on the block when it comes to the New England soccer scene. And that is, uh, it's not technically a new kid either. This is the weird part. Uh, CT United FC has joined the professional circuit um, by entering a club in Bridgeport, Connecticut uh, under the MLS Next Pro banner with the intent to start playing in 2025. I, I I kind of almost just skipped over this when the information was announced, but there's a little bit of curiosity here that I wanted to share because this could have unintended consequences down the road. Uh, and so first and foremost, just to kind of cover the team itself, it's currently uh, slated to be the only non-MLS owned team in the league to compete in the Northeast. So what that means is it's independently affiliated. The reason I bring that up is when we had talked about on the last podcast that we recorded about the open cup controversy, one of the things that was made clear by the league and by the cup is that the independently affiliated teams were not going to be a part of the sanctions because they don't represent the reserve team of their affiliated, you know, Atlanta two, New York city, FC two, et cetera. So with these independent affiliations, these clubs could still compete in the U S open cup. So while that's not something that we need to worry about this year, that is something very real that will affect Rhode Island FC in 2025 is that we will see this club enter com- competition for the U.S. Open Cup, and there's a good chance that we'll be playing them. So that's kind of why I thought about the relevancy of bringing them up. What was really also additionally interesting about the club itself is technically 
they are rebranding or kind of bringing back the existence of this club from 2015 when they competed in a semi-professional league called the American Soccer League. And they were a club then that folded a couple years into the, the start of it. They were trying to get Division Three sanctioning for the league. It didn't happen, as as is a very real and continuous story of American soccer. And the club folded. But the people that brought this back, they, they resuscitated this name to call themselves CT United. And that's how they're establishing the uh, MLS Next Pro side of it. So, so this club is both now the oldest of the non-Division One teams in our league, but they're also going to be the newest joining in 2025. It's kind of like a back to the future, like I kissed my mom in the past kind of thing going on. I thought you said this club was in New England. They're in Connecticut. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of when you like, you, you can't like disappear for like 10 years and then just kind of claim that you're still running. You know, I, I would give something a pass like when the uh, open cup had to stop for one year because of covid like i could i would see how we could give them a pass on that but it's been like 10 years so so they are not to be clear they're not claiming they are that club they are simply claiming the namesake and the heritage of they, oh. it's a pre-established brand or history they are not associated like the logos and stuff you'll see that they're complete distancing okay, they're, it's like yeah. they bought the name and they're saying, hey, we're back, but it was never us to begin with. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I wonder how Hartford fans feel about this. There'd be almost a weird, like, be funny if, as USL teams, like, we both hated them more than we hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's one of the other reasons I wanted to bring this into the discussion is there seems to be a battle taking shape in Division Three with the USL2, USL1, and MLS Next Pro all kind of starting to duke it out when it comes to territory assignment and grabbing up other markets that potentially have soccer-rich areas. And Connecticut is one of these weird states where, besides your, you know, is it technically a New England state joke, it's one of the only states that doesn't have any professional sport in its uh, four borders at the at the majors level, at the Division One level. Uh, with the exception of a couple others, but it's the quote-unquote biggest population state that would that doesn't have a team representing it. So the reason I say that is that earlier, before they announced this as an MLS Next Pro team, there was noise coming out of Connecticut that there was a bid in place to put a MLS franchise in Bridgeport. So what this tells me is, is that they were unsuccessful to show up as a MLS bid, but MLS was saying, well, hey, you could go this route instead. So I, I, I don't know if this is MLS's game to start seeing how they can take market share away from the USL or, and they announced recently that they're investigating how they could potentially do a pro rel in their internal lower levels. I don't, I, I think this is just them posturing at this point. But having said that, it's one of those things where this is just a way to, to your point, to steal fans away from Hartford or to steal the the soccer hearts that don't want to commit to New York City or New York Red Bulls and don't want to commit to Hartford or maybe even Rhode Island FC. This is just a way to take some more of that market share. I, 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 I know we're nerds, you and I, but like I look at this as there's the Nintendo Game Boy and then Sony makes, you know, their PlayStation Portable and no one bought it or Sega Game Gear. No one really bought it because it was too expensive. It was out of touch. But every time you bought one of those devices, it was one less Game Boy in the hands of of kids and fans. So I kind of look at this more akin to that. I hate the idea that 
organizations are buying reserve league side teams. I just don't see how you're going to get people to show up and be excited when they play the likes of New York Red Bulls too. Like I just, I don't see where that will come from or how, how you'll grow soccer organically, but it's going to be, again, the soccer wars are real. This is something that will continue to happen for very a very long time to come. Yeah, I I, I also struggle to see how people can be fans of teams that are just like MLS fan, MLS team two. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I know Connecticut for being a small state is very densely populated. So I imagine they could support another team potentially, at least like on the lower division. But yeah, I, I also see this as like the cynic in me this is mls trying to muddy the waters and maybe take away potential fans from usl teams and maybe even just throw confusion in there because there's a lot of people who don't under they they look at sports with their view of american sports and they see all these lower division teams and they think like oh this is like the d league or you know like the the paw socks or something like that where it's it but it's not that like these are actual professional teams with their own identities. But these MLS next pro teams, a lot of them are just like, you know, Columbus crew too. And they have like 65 people show up to a game. And I'm like, this, this is not what soccer needs to grow in America. Right. But, but that's where this whole curiosity of the independent affiliation comes in. Will this be enough for the fans of just the market to rally behind a team that has no, anchored uh feeder system up right like we you you are not guaranteed any kind of contract if you play for ct united in 2026 that you'll you know be called up or loaned up to nycfc2 or excuse me nycfc they're not it's not their affiliation right so like i'll be really interested how the dynamic of this works maybe maybe usl starts to look at these teams and poach I haven't seen or been paying attention if any players have moved up from MLS NP into these ranks. I've seen USL two and USL one move into USL Championship, but I haven't I haven't seen any kind of cross traffic between those likes. So, anyways, I just wanted to share that because I thought it was really interesting. They're going to be joining the the Open Cup corridor up here in the Northeast in 2025, um, at least potentially. Who knows what MLS does to to screw that all up in the next you know 18 to 24 months. Um, but as it stands right now, that's kind of where we're at. So moving along, um, we have we have a new technical edition, which is really interesting because I went back and replayed the tape, and I, I could I know that Coach Cano mostly swore that the the coaching roster was complete and that we weren't looking to make any other additional uh, expansions into that space. But surprise, we have we have a new assistant coach. Yeah, I guess. I, I remember that too. I guess things changed. Uh, so yeah, Rhode Island FC has announced that Marco Sugarte has joined the club as an assistant coach. Um, he's a Rhode Island native. Um, and most recently, he was assistant coach for the men's soccer team, the University of Michigan for the 2022 and 23 season. When he was here, he was playing at the Providence County Day School where the uh, tryouts were. That's actually where we saw him. And And real fast, not to interrupt as you're sharing... But a lot of people were like, oh, this is like a net new signing. We saw him supporting and helping both at the open tryout. We saw him in pictures at the combine. So I don't know if this was like a provisioned like trialist role for him himself or if the club needed to navigate financial dollars to make a signing for him. But this was not something where like we saw his resume and picked him up. This was very much a intent to hire as as he had been helping support the club through some of those 
early assessments of, of the, the open tryout and the amateurs. Yeah, it sounds like that very well could have been kind of an internship type of thing where they brought them on, much like how they are talking about where we will be trialing players. Like there'll be a bunch of guys with us and if they work out, like we'll bring them on. Right. And if you, I mean, if you look at his tenure too, he has connections to coach Spratt to, to coach Kano. Like this isn't, he's not an unknown. It's not just like, Oh, he's a local native, you know, so let's pick him up. He He's definitely put his networking skills and his partnerships with the, with the rest of the technical staff out there prior to this, this um, him joining the club. And real quick, back to some of his history here. Um, he won Rhode Island Boys Soccer Gatorade Player of the Year. Nice. What flavor Gatorade do you think he won? Like, uh, is there a Gatorade Fruit Punch Player of the Year and a Gatorade Arctic Freeze Player of the Year? I don't know. There's like 30 different flavors. That would be pretty funny. Which which one would you not want to win? Like the Lemon Lime, right? You wouldn't want to be the Gatorade Lemon Lime Player of the Year? I, I am a big fan of Lemon Lime myself. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, he also spent some time at the Providence College and University of Michigan. After that, he uh, was playing for the Rochester Rhinos, where he won the USL Championship in 2015. R.I.P. Rhinos. It's, uh, it's poor one out for the Rhinos. Yep. Ultimately, though, uh, injuries kind of sidelined his career. Um, he started doing some coaching for the University of Michigan. There was a little stint, like kind of spell over in Denmark with Rinkobing IF. That is such a great name. <laughs> uh, then he came back stateside, played a few seasons with Birmingham, and now he is our assistant coach. So yeah, so again, coach got a ringside seat, a, a Rinkobing side seat. <laughs> These nice. jokes write themselves um, with with Marcos, and, and, and he made this decision. So, uh, you know, congratulations. Welcome to the team. Can't wait to see how you help support and uh and make make us the the champions that we know will be in 2024 um i by the way i'm going to get the year wrong at some point in this podcast because it's it's like at the beginning of the year you you accidentally write the wrong year yeah every time you start filling out forms <laughs> you just space out except i can't take a pen and scratch out on an audio podcast so i'm just gonna have to like mm, wish i hadn't said Do that they have like an audio version of whiteout <laughs> Yeah, it's called re-record. <laughs> it's just like one of those really awkward, like it just paused 2024. <laughs> I, you know, I've actually had to do that once or twice in this pod. Not this episode, but anyways. Uh, so moving on into player signings. So uh, we have a lot to catch up on because we've had several, including a, ne- a brand new one that was just announced today. And so the first one that I'm really excited to talk about is Jackson Lee. So he's a 6'2 Australian native from Perth and was a goalkeeper recently playing for West Virginia University uh, before recently being picked up 28th in the MLS Super Draft by none other than Los Angeles Football Club, the team that just took second place in the MLS Cup after losing to Columbus Crew. Now, what's interesting about this signing is he, first off, is an amazing, amazing collegiate player, uh, ranks super high in terms of all of the stats that matter for a keeper, in just 39 uh, games with the NCAA club, he had 66 saves, nine clean sheets, and averaged only .96 goals per game. So he wasn't exactly a brick wall. But when you looked at the uh, win record for West Virginia, I mean, they won a majority of the games that they competed in. 
what's even more crazy is he's a former Australian U uh, seventeen international. So this guy's played for the international game. He he knows what that kind of competition looks like, and he's also been selected for the All Sun Belt second team and the United Soccer Coaches All Southern Region second team, uh, just this most recent year. Now my first kind of question when I heard about this signing was again he was an Australian from Perth and I started thinking well that would mean that there's an international mechanism in play now it's obvious also for any listener that this is someone who's the understudy to Coke Vegas so signing an international to your backup role kind of made me start to go and question what would the strategy be behind that and then I uncovered through reading the Blazing Musket, so props to to that organization, that he's actually a dual citizen, which completely unlocks that tether of needing to worry about the international roster requirements. So huge win, huge pickup. I love that he was stolen from Los Angeles Football Club, not not LAFC itself, but just the fact that like an MLS club had their sights on someone, and we took that player. Really, really interesting. In fact, Transfer Market lists him as a, he had played for LAFC. He's got like the iconography of like left from LAFC to join Rhode Island FC. So I love that as an image. But what I'm really curious about, I want to ask your question is, this all went down before LAFC announced the landmark uh, signing of international superstar Hugo Lloris from Tottenham. Now, I've read into that since that Hugo is coming in on not a DP contract, because normally MLS doesn't pay DP money for, for goalkeepers, but that both of the keepers that were in roster at the time were were free agents, both John McCarthy and uh, and Max Cripo. So they've both gone to other clubs since. I wonder if Jackson Lee, knew, knowing at the time the talent stack that was at LAFC, or maybe the competitive level it would take to break through, thought Rhode Island FC was the stronger club, and now currently, I mean, I, I don't know LAFC's depth charts, but there's only one starting keeper there. We know that Koke was the first player signing here at Rhode Island FC, so he's going to get the minutes. He fits the style of play that that Coach Kano is looking for. That's why he was our first player signed. Curious your thoughts. What does that mean for someone like Jackson Lee who chose Rhode Island FC over LAFC and and what that playing time might look like for a, a person like this? So are you sure he chose RFC over LFC. I don't really understand the MLS draft. I thought they basically, from what I understood, they just basically called dibs on him. It's just dibs. So what happened in this case, what I can share is that he already had a contract established with Rhode Island FC. Now, whether or not he knew that he was going to get picked up by LAFC and his hands are tied, I'm not familiar with that. But I know that the club would be gracious enough that if LAFC was really serious about pursuing Jackson there would have been some sign-on clause or some transfer fee to to bring Jackson into the fold. So what that means for Jackson now is, is that the way the draft works, it's like you said, it's basically dibs. So Jackson Lee cannot sign with any other MLS club until the end of the 2024 season without it going through LAFC as a sign-on or LAFC getting some sort of transfer sale like rights percentage, um, or he has to sign with LAFC. After 2024 is over, that that window is done and he can sign with any club he'd like if um if he ten, if he decides to leave Rhode Island but in that space he when he got announced for the draft he had already secured his contract rights for our club so again 
I don't think that this is anything other than just business and he was already committed to the club. And I can't imagine that coach would do any kind of, you know, bamboozling to to lie or manipulate a situation like that. So this is just, you know, what it is. And I don't think Jackson made a bad decision here at all, by the way. I'm just curious, like now knowing that there's only one keeper and it's a 37 year old uh EPL player like what would that have meant if Jackson had said like would he even have penetrated the first team roster yeah um it's interesting I from LAFC's perspective maybe they're not a hundred percent sold on Hugo Lloris <laughs> I wonder if that's almost just a like look we we signed a world cup winner you know kind of like you know jersey seller thing not that that many people are buying goalkeeper jerseys but you know he is a big name. Um, a lot of Tottenham fans have not been impressed with him lately, even some French fans. He, at one point, was a phenomenal keeper, but he's he's one of those guys who's got a few, like, brain farts in him, where it just, he's like... He's old. It, yeah, but that's that's fine with keepers. Not at 37, 38, and not to be a starting keeper for an MLS squad that just took that just had keepers that kept them in the game by standing on their head. I don't think Hugo Lloris has that in him. I mean, maybe it remains to be seen, but I wonder if the Jackson Lee thing was just like, we don't know how this is going to go. Maybe Hugo Lloris just kind of plays for us for a year, maybe two. And then we, they pick him up. I also wonder too, if, if there's a strategy with the MLS super draft where you're almost just like placing bets on people. Like, you don't even, you, you see a guy and you're like, that guy looks good. I don't know if he's for us, but let's just call dibs on him. And then everyone's just going around. They're just seeing different college players that they think, this guy looks good, this guy looks good, and they just use their, their chips or however it works, place their bets, and hope that one of them can maybe bring in, you know, a few hundred thousand or a few extra million just to kind of bring in some extra money into the club when they inevitably sign for someone else. I don't know. It. I, I remember the Discovery Rights program was basically the dibs for professional talent. I know they got rid of that because they used to do the likes of like, we're going to claim dibs and discover Lionel Messi. We're going to discover Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. I discovered killing Mbappe when I was playing, you know, FIFA 14 when he was like a 12-year-old. You know, I'd like to think <laughs> I discovered Martin Odegaard in FIFA 16 when he was like 14 years old. I was like, this kid's got some really good stats. And now look at him. He's starting every game so and the epl so i was right so anyways back on track i i love this move i i think it's such a power play that we basically took an mls player off the roster i've heard rumors that there was another player that we were close to securing a contract with that was also scouted in the draft which would make sense because you know when you think about the emphasis on collegiate talent and what we can secure um, but I think they got scooped up by uh, a club in in one of the rounds of the draft. So uh, that one may have slipped through Coach Cano's fingers. But but still, this is such a great this is such a great unlock, a great opportunity, and uh, I'm excited to see what Jackson can do to help provide support for the team and and be there in moments where maybe Koke can't. So uh, but moving on, speaking of MLS though, we do have we have secured MLS talent. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about this next one. Yeah, and we also picked up Stephen Turnbull, 25 years old, 6 feet tall, primarily a right wing back, used to play for NYCFC. He made five starts for them with 11 total appearances, 
with only one loss with him being in the first team squad. I thought that was such an interesting fact. Like you go and look at player stats all the time and it's like total playing minutes. How many cards did they get? What what was their goal production, their XG? But when you looked at the actual amount of games played, they only lost one time while he was on the field. Like that's that's an impressive especially as a wing back. Like that's an impressive stat defensively. Yeah, um, in his prior season with NYCFC2, he tallied five goals, four assists. Um, and from what I've seen in the highlights, like he is definitely a wingback. He is up there. Uh, chance creation rates higher than the MLS average at 1.6 chances created and only accumulated eight yellow cards across two seasons, which is not too bad. Okay, so he's defensively sound and he's offensively a goal-scoring threat or an assist providing threat i i he's an mls quality player and it looks like he ripped it up in the uh mls next pro you know with the reserve side i i think this is an incredible player pickup and i'm kind of shocked that nycfc let this guy go yeah i'm not i'm not sure uh i i don't know what their squad looks like but um he looks like someone that they probably should have hold on to i i'm excited and i don't know if you've noticed this but a lot of we have a lot of height in this club not just on the back line uh connor is super tall jackson lee is super tall um some of the next players we're going to announce also super tall we have a and i mean the wingers and, and jj williams super tall like this is a this is a very large team I'm, i'll be curious when when the dust settles on all the pickups who is the shortest person right now i think it would be maybe amos possibly um i i I know that coach does watch um, football abroad. I wonder that there does seem to be a trend of, you know, it used to be you have the ball playing elegant more players were like you're shorter in stature, but now you're, you're starting to see that a lot more taller players are becoming a lot more comfortable on the ball. So teams like Liverpool and Manchester city have raised their average height. Um, and they're kind of balancing that physical play with the, the keeping the ball on the ground though and and the passing type of play yeah it's it's very interesting i mean and kano himself is a very tall tall individual so height is it definitely seems to be a common denominator right now with with some of his pickups um that just tells me again i, I think i said it when we talked about jj williams signing like we're just aerial game we're just gonna dominate whether that's getting wrestling possession back or being a, a threat in the box for set pieces. Like, I'm just excited about that. And speaking of, um, in in another MLS player that we recently signed, Jojea Quizera, uh, who heralds from his most recent stint in the 2022 uh, season with CF Montreal. He's 25, and he hails from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, he's played his entire professional career with only MLS so far. So this is kind of a, he didn't come up through the USL ranks. Uh, so now he's coming from MLS down to USL. And uh, it's just really exciting. I mean, not only did he play in, you know, over 12 matches with MLS, including playoff appearances and two Canadian Cup championship uh, side matches. But the the guy, I, I always try to tell this to people. He was handpicked by Wilfred Nancy, who is the coach that just won the MLS Cup. This was the this was the dream season for CF Montreal that just went on a tear where people had projected them to win the wooden spoon. And because he was a no-name, the players that they were signing were no-names. 
and and he just went and elevated that club to I think they took second place in the Eastern Conference and third overall in total points in the Supporter Shield race. So this is just a, a team that could ball. This is a team that could play. Um, he didn't get a ton of minutes at his time with CF Montreal, so I won't pretend that he was a key cog in the in the wheel, but he definitely had his moments to support the initiatives and the play that was behind it. But what I want to kind of bring up as something that I found interesting, and, and we're trying to confirm more with the club, but he was listed as a midfielder in the signing tile on his like on the social medias of, of bringing him and welcoming him to the club. But when you look at his physicality, when you look at his size, and when you look at his production, and you match all of that against the fact that we've signed Mark Doyle as an international you know, target winger, he's definitely going to be playing on that left wing. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to see him play in competition against Mark. And for a player of that particular style, it doesn't really also make sense then that he would be someone who would play as a left mid. So I know it's listed as a midfielder, but I would not be surprised if we don't see um, Drajaya converted into a wing back because it, it kind of follows some of Coach's story too, where you know players of that nature, if they have the speed and they have the physicality, they can go up and down the the wing, specifically the wing where they're not tucking in. I think that that will suit the needs of the club. I would not be surprised if Drajaya gives Gabriel Alves a run for his money in the you know the starting left back or left wing back role. Uh, nothing I can confirm right now. Obviously, it's it's coach's team to build, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I really do think that it wouldn't be surprising to see him start as in that left back position. And then you know, again, with kind of this dual operated mode that Kano seems to be building, maybe he does sub out for a game and lets Gabriel start as a traditional left back, and then comes in to sub off. You know, Doyle after the 60th minute where some legs are tired. We don't have a lot of reinforcements yet on the front half. So this could be one of those things where he can play one to two or three different roles. But I would tell listeners, don't be surprised if we see him in that left back role to start with. And then finally, also, we talked about him being a Congo resident. He is also a dual citizen, so he's not going to be taking up an international spot with that roster. I still don't know the total limits to it. I think so far we only have Doyle then as the one. I actually We need to find that out. We're going to have to do some research and ask the the new communications director who joined the team recently to give us the information so we can we can update listeners on that any any thoughts on Quizera? yeah i watched uh, some highlights he uh he seems really interesting um very fast but yeah i i kind of agree with you in that i think he might be converted more to like a wing back um and i wonder i guess we'll we'll get to the formation here in a minute or two after we talk about our last player signing but but yeah, when we we assume that coach is going to play a four three three, so yeah, that'll just it'll be curious to see what he does with that. Agreed. I I mean that is the formation of choice right now. Now he has flexibility with some of the reserves that he's signed on so far. But I I yeah I completely agree. And then so now we have one more announced player. So this is the hot breaking off the uh, off the press news. Uh, we signed ourselves. I don't even know what to call this player right now because we don't know what the club is going to describe him as because we haven't seen the title card for it. We just know that the signing has been completed. So do you want to tell listeners about our newest acquisition? Yeah. So as of today, we picked up Clay Holstad. I was watching some highlights of him 
when you told me about it. And I couldn't tell what position he played because he was kind of all over the field. Um, the six foot tall, 24 year old Birmingham native played for Columbus Crew 2 in a mix of positions right back, center back, right mid, and central mid, tallying over 1,700 minutes, only missing six games. It's impressive. Most notably, he participated in all MLS Next Pro playoff games, losing. In the final to Austin FC two, I didn't know that Columbus Crew two was in their own final, while the Crew one were in the final. That's a that's a pretty fun that's a pretty fun fact right there. Yeah, that I I think would show you how well that club is probably run. That if they have if their MLS Next Pro team is that good, that they're also making the final. Um, I also didn't know Austin City had a two. So or Austin <laughs> FC, excuse me, had a two. <laughs> I assume all of them do, but probably not. I know, you know, I don't know for sure, but I know DC United doesn't because in the presser for Open Cup, they said that if they did move to next pro teams, DC United wouldn't be represented in in MLS play because uh, Loudon is their affiliate in the USL. Yeah, now that you say that, I do remember that. Of all the different positions, uh, he primarily primarily played as a center back, earning 10 clean sheets and collecting three yellow cards. He also netted one goal and assist. Yeah, the funny thing about that that video of his highlights that was like six minutes long, it started off with his goal. I mean, you you always do, right? You start off with the one thing that's super attractive. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, so this is a backup striker. And then it slowly started to move around the field towards the end of the video. It was just him like in the back line moving the ball forward i was like okay who knows what this guy is so i don't know if you talk if you follow the whole Wrexham story a lot um but i'm i'm super into it both just the structure of it the documentary and, and just wanting to see this this club succeed but um their their number one player super paul mullen uh he usually when i turn on my feed i'm seeing some sort of goal some sort of amazing thing that he did and last week I got seven different versions of him tracking back and playing defense and just slide tackling a ball out in 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 the attacking half where he was, right? So like it, the ball had been converted back and they were going the other direction and he just did a tackle and he was so excited for that single defensive play as like a striker. I mean, he just got pumped and it, it had it had intended results for the game, right? But like seeing a striker get that excited to do one defensive thing and then seeing the club put that on repeat 17 different times uh just th- those are the moments i'm there for so when a defender scores you know it's probably just the opposite it's the opposite of feeling you know yeah kind of a similar feeling when a defender scores it's it's amazing and then when a striker like tracks back and you know slide tackles or wins the ball back those are huge today is his birthday too Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Clay. If you're already listening to this, I I I hope that's the first thing you did. You were like, okay, I've signed. What's the media talking about me today? (laughs) Lots of January birthdays. Yeah. So how many do we have? Because I've already lost track. It's, I know Coaches was a couple days ago. Coaches, um, uh, isn't Jojea's also in January? I I see. I've already lost track. I know Amos had a birthday. Happy birthday, Amos. JJ Williams. Happy birthday, JJ. Like we're gonna have to track. We're gonna need a calendar and just have to track birthdays for everyone. I mean, I know the club does, but for our own recording purposes. Uh, so happy birthday to everyone that that you know listens. And I know the players do listen. By the way, I've, they've 
they've commented and reached out. So, um, but yeah, anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so a few more signings coming down next week. But, you know, for all intents and purposes here, we do have enough to have a complete lineup. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have every position filled. We have a dynamic, completely established 4 through 3 you know, starting 11. And then we have a couple of supporting people in the reserve roles uh, as we understand it. So, you know, playing this game again now after just talking about Clay, I'm really curious if you think that the lineup changes at all because I think this does. I think I think Clay Holstead coming on board may have um have altered this lineup a little bit. So so let's walk through this. So we all I think anyone listening agrees this is going to be some version of a 4-3-3 and I think our front line is 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 locked in, right? We've got Mark Doyle on the left. JJ Williams uh center forward or target striker and 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 Prince Sadie on the right wing. And then in the middle is where this suddenly starts to get kind of interesting cuz I think that like even the likes of John Morrissey at USL Tactics, they all kind of thought that it'd be something where Connor McGlynn would hold up the spine. And I don't think that that's not a bad spot for him. I I kind of thought Mark Gibara would just as a CDM and CDMs usually play that true six. Um, but I, but again, I, I don't know where coach will go with this. But the other one was originally we were thinking Joe Brito would be some more likely to start on one of the two sides of the left or right midfield. But with Clay entering, like you said, he can play right back, center back, right mid, and center mid. I'm pretty sure Grant Snowman and Frank Nordasi are, are starting center backs just by their talent. And we covered Frank on the last episode. Like his RGV stats were off the charts. We know Grant makes sense as a connection with Vegas. So really, I think we have to figure out that right mid spot then. is Does that by default go to a player like Clay? Or, you know, and we know Steven Turnbull is going to start as a right wing back. Is Clay just like this utility clutch player that we substitute? But, I mean, if he was playing that many minutes with MLS Next Pro, I don't know. Would you elevate him above the likes of Amos Shapiro-Thompson and Joe Brito? Uh, possibly. It It is curious to see how this would work. Um, because at, at the end of the day, a lineup is kind of just your starting positions, right? And then depending on how the team defends... You you come back into that that uh, shell when when you don't have the ball and and this is how you line up, but as soon as you start to attack, that those positions can evolve. So I almost wonder if we you know if this is what we're looking at here. We see Connor McGlynn push up. You have maybe Marky Barra and Clay Holstead tuck in and almost create a square with Grant Stoneman and Frank Nodarse at the back. You have Jojea Quizera and Stefan Turnbull push up and play almost midfielders. And then maybe we have Mark Doyle and Prince Sadie kind of playing more narrow with Mark Doyle being the focal point so that you have, you're, you're pushing everyone forward. Um, Clay Holstad and Mark Ibarra, if they're comfortable on the ball, they can control possession. You have Stoneman and Adarse in the back as well as Quizera and Turnbull with the speed can get back. I mean, maybe we're go we're going full Guardiola and get crazy. I I have no idea what coach is thinking, but you know, there's some interesting tactics we could maybe may look at with this team. So do you do you subscribe that Ibarra is not in the centerpiece because 
all the analysts we've talked to believe it'll be McGlynn. Connor McGlynn's at that like six. Do you do you think that that's what we'll see, or do you think? I I don't know. I I was under the impression McGlynn was more of a um you know like a little bit more of a tacky minded player, and Marky Barra seemed to be more of a CDM. So I'd imagine McGlynn would push up. There's the connection with Sadie with him. So I think that he might be more involved in the attack, whereas maybe Ibarra is almost like that. Um, the holding that sits in front of the uh, Stoneman and Odarse, and then depending on tactics wise, Clay Holstad like was all over the pitch. So maybe he can, you know, if if we need to defend more, he can sit deep and actually add as a second holding midfielder in front of the uh, in front of the back four. So in your eyes, though, he's a starter, based on what you saw, based on what you've watched the video and the tape on these other players. I mean, based on like video, probably. I I don't see, you know, like there was video of Brito and Shapiro Thompson, but Shapiro Thompson is fast on the ball, and he is also someone with really good ball control from what the video highlight showed. To me, it makes sense to bring him in as like a super sub in the seventieth minute. And just tear tired legs apart. Um, Brito seemed more just like your holistic box to box can do it all kind of jack of tra- jack of all trades. Um, and then you know you've got Alves. We, those wing backs are going to get tired. So if Alves doesn't secure the starting spot, um, that makes sense. So I, I I think unless we get another player, another marquee signing, or another drop next week, I I think Clay makes sense as the starter. Yeah, and, and from what we've seen from Turnbull and Quizera, like they are wing backs. I mean, we're not even sure if Quizera is actually going to be. I mean, in let's, that position. Let's, just, let's just commit to it. He's but. he's going to be the spot because otherwise it doesn't make sense. As because then if you don't put him there, the the talent is too stacked in the midfield to swap out the likes of Marky Barra or Clay. Like they they, you're not getting the same thing out of someone like that. No, I. I I firmly, I'm willing to put a, some money down that says that Quizera's our, our left wing back. You know, the these lineups change too, depending on the opponents. Maybe a more defense, you know, if we need to play more defensive, maybe it is Alves. Maybe if we assume that we are going to control the ball, we put in Quizera and then push Quizera and Turnbull way up there. Right, know? we do some sort of like 3-4-1-2 kind of situation at that point. Yeah, no, I get it. All right, well, I, look, I'm excited. I think the one thing that we didn't talk about, but to move through it really quick is while we have a complete team, we definitely still are missing some depth pieces. So if Clay is a starter, I don't think we really have enough strength at center back and right back. I'd like to see one more player that can pick up and fill those roles because while Clay can do one of the rotations if we need to sit someone, then you know it's still we should have one more player in in that space um and then i think we're we're lacking on a a player of some sort of caliber that can play on either side of the wings like we said joje could move up and cover mark doyle on a on a bad day or an off day but you know you still want someone more dedicated in the attacking minded space up there and then i think we're going to need some sort of backup goal production or or striker someone comfortable to sit, be up there in the front lines and and you know keep keep JJ Williams honest in 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 his role as a starting nine. Yeah, so I think at that point we're looking at minimum what three, probably four. I mean, coach says the roster build's never done, but I think for 
the team to feel comfortable going into the season, like minimum three, they probably want four or five. Yeah, I, I think 18 is the minimum. And I, th- I believe they'll be really comfortable if they're at 20 to 22, right? So anticipate at least three more signings. We know there are several signings in the works and there's conversations. We just don't know what those roles or who those players are. Um, but I would imagine 18 is the right number. And if anything after that, we're just going to be in a good spot. So um, let's move forward because we've got a couple other things to talk about around timelines and events. So we've teased, we've hinted at, and I think the club's announced too with with Co- uh, with Kano's Corner that the players report in for medical this Sunday. And, you know, we joked earlier that the first day of training is just, it's just registered as beginning next week, which is technically Monday. So they could be playing on Martin Luther King the day that it's honored, or they could be not. I, I don't know. But uh, we do know that those will begin as closed door practice sessions and um, strengthening and, you know, um, just just improving athleticism and making sure players are at their physical best. And then moving into that space, they'll be competing and, and playing and scrimmaging in the indoor facilities at Bryant. So really interesting. I had seen Hartford announce their massive dome building for their their uh, preseason, and the, it's, their, it's their training center. And it was a partnership with one of the local businesses in Connecticut. And it got me thinking, not so much for Bryant, but for Tidewater, where will that facility be in existence for Rhode Island FC when we start playing? Because I don't know that they've purchased any other property. They haven't shared that. And I, you, you know, I, I just don't know what that plan is. They've been so focused on building the stadium. Um, I, I, I'd love to know if they plan on kind of creating or, or leasing or renting that same kind of space somewhere else. Um, I didn't know Bryant had an indoor facility at first. And then I went and did some research. They do. It's tight. It's not nearly as big as like the Hartford complex, but they, they will be able to play in those indoor facilities. And then of course they'll be doing outdoor practicing to condition because we'll be playing a lot of our first games in some very cold weather. Um, so that's something that will be coming up right after the, uh, medical evaluation start. And then, uh, what I can confirm for fans is that the club is exploring, some sort of potential meet and greet for fans to come and meet the players uh, after a practice, potentially watch a practice that isn't confirmed yet. They're, they're still exploring if that's an opportunity. Um, But it's more because of, again, just the security and the space that Bryant has available. Um, You know, if it's an outdoor piece, like, of course, that's not something that they would shy away from, but Bryant's facilities are, like I said, they're very tight Um, And then also, too, like I was just kind of thinking about the pros and cons of something like that. If you have trialists on on site to to be practicing against the team or trying to earn a spot or maybe you have players that like you haven't really officially signed yet, you may not want people to to come by and and poke around and be like, oh, uh, this player is coming online. Okay, I didn't know about that. So it may or may not happen. I know that the club is eager to try to explore something like that. I know a lot of other clubs in other leagues, they have kind of either a, they have a mentality where it's open door, come watch us, or it's closed door and like, don't, don't, don't even come near us, don't ask. Um, so the fact that the club's exploring it, it just, it kind of shows that they're really trying to balance the operational disciplines and then make sure that they support what the, what the fans want in the space. Yeah, that's a good call out though with the trialists and potential players who maybe not announced yet. So I imagine if they were going to do something like that, 
it would be a very special curated event where they only have like the actual, you know, the actual team. And then depending on what the roster would be like at that point, it might have to be like a five aside or something if there's not enough to do a full 11 v 11. Right. Or, or, or maybe Kano gets out there, <laughs> plays against him. Ball. I mean, every one of those, every one of those coaches has been a player at some point. Right. So yeah. And then <laughs> alumni versus scrubs kind of situation would be perfect. <laughs> so, and I can also say too, so, and I'll just jump to this is that we do know that, after uh, the club gets orientated and they, they start their practices, they will be going down, as we had mentioned earlier uh, last year, that they'll be joining uh, or they'll be attend- going to the IMG Academy for preseason training in Florida. Uh, and they have some interesting lineups and some games there. Now, the only one that's been confirmed, which I love, is they are playing a closed door match against Orlando City uh, in the MLS. And some people have joked online like, oh, it's just going to be their reserve squad. It's not going to be their reserve squad. It will be a mix of their, you know, starters and their subs. But those are people that need to get into preseason. And, you know, if Orlando's coming into this thinking, oh, we can like squash on, we can dunk on some some division two team that's never been a team before, that could be like the mental uh preparation you need to psych players into a winning season. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando's fielding a lot of their A listers thinking that this is something that they can brush through. And then I wouldn't be surprised knowing how good coaches that Rhode Island FC comes to, uh, comes to show up for that. It is closed door, but I'm going to do everything I can to find out the score. That's the one thing I want to check into. Um, but a lot of their matches will be closed door and, and, you know, back to the whole thing about it, Bryant, you know, you think about it, it would not surprise me if Hartford athletic and Rhode Island FC have kind of like a preseason, state of the state they're the best they're the closest two clubs that can best square off against each other talent wise likewise i wouldn't be surprised if the revolution come down or rhode island fc goes up for a a closed door session just off the books um so i i there's a reason there's some secrecy there i've I've asked a couple times and, and the club has said you know we will not probably get the entire match listing um but if i hear anything i will make sure that i if i can share it i will share it on the podcast and then after they play their um, their games at the IMG Academy in Florida, they, of course, will be traveling to Bermuda uh, from the 23rd to the 28th of February. What's really great about that is the club is looking to explore an opportunity to broadcast some of the games um, at uh, in Bermuda. Uh, we don't know if that will happen as well. They're still trying to work on it. There's probably some logistical challenges to getting a live stream set up in another country and you know getting that on display for some place to watch, but I know that the supporters group Defined 1636 uh, is working hand in hand with the club to see if we can do something to have some sort of away party and just watch the uh, the scrimmage match. So more to come on that. Um, and then after Bermuda and, and the Pink Sand, they come back and return to, uh, to, to New England to do their final adjustments, their final preparations for the first game on March 16th against New Mexico United. So that is it. I mean, a lot of that is news that people already know, but nevertheless, we are just marshalling towards that that first game. Like like we said at the beginning, sixty four days away. Man, sixty four days. It's it's gonna fly by. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna show up, and then I'm sure uh, we'll have intended to plan something else along the way, and then that will just get sidelined because we're gonna, already gonna be at game time. So speaking of game time, we also have uh, some home opener updates. So recently, uh, you know, they updated the ticket availability for the home opener and it is getting light. So 
a couple of weeks ago, the flex plans were released to fans that maybe weren't really ready to commit financially or weren't sure about what they wanted to invest in for uh, ticket options when it came to season ticket memberships. Um, but flex plans did launch uh, recently around the price ranges of $348 to just $90 for six games. That is a steal. And just, again, it reminds me of the early days when ticket prices first dropped and everyone was like, I can't, that's that's highway robbery. That is not highway robbery. Uh, highway robbery is trying to attend, attend an MLS match where Messi shows up and sits on the bench and you paid $1,400 for it. So, so this is, this is, this just makes sense. So the advantage of buying a flex plan is that you can pick any six games, including the ones that are most likely to sell out, such as the home opener, the Hartford Derby and the Phoenix rising matches. Um, and they're priced in a competitive and, and, and fair way, the same way that they made the offer for season ticket members. Um, and then there are some additional advantages or perks to the flex plans, which are giving priority uh, ticket allotment and seating for Tidewater Landing when that stadium comes online uh, the next year. So, you know, that that's the opportunity behind the flex plans. There are still some people holding out and asking for just single game tickets. Single game tickets will open around February 1st, but the club has gone out of their way to highlight and broadcast that there will most likely not be any remaining inventory for the at least the inaugural match. I wouldn't be surprised that right after that match, if the Derby also fills out pretty quickly. So if you're someone that's really been sitting on the fence waiting or you wanted to buy something less and you're hoping that a single game ticket will make itself available, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that route. I would at least look at investing in the six the six game flex plan. Um, it's our intention to try to secure a couple of tickets to give away uh, for the home opener uh, as a, as a competition or as a as a kind of thing that we want to do to reward listeners that have been following us on the podcast. But that's still in the works for us ourselves. So you know, go buy those flex plans, go buy those tickets, and if you haven't already fallen in love like we have, like go become a season ticket member. We don't we don't know what to tell you. We, we're season ticket members, so. Um, but yeah, so the home opener's coming, 64 days. What else do we have coming down the pike? All right, we got a few events here coming up. Um, uh, the 19th through the 21st, RFC is going to be at the RV Boat Show at the Convention Center. Boats, 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 boats. You were on a boat recently. We didn't even talk about it. See, this is how much time has gone past. Yeah, a lot we, of stuff has happened. We rode the, the free boat ferry. That was your first boat in Rhode Island. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> How did you like it? Was it was it superb boating? Yeah, it's pretty good boating. There was a total of seven people. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of people on the boat. <laughs> and then on Saturday, January twenty seventh, RFC is going to be at the RA Brew Fest at the Waterfire Art Center. So boats and brews, I love it with Perfect. RV sprinkled in. Sign me up. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, then uh, I think we I think we had a couple questions, right? We we asked on the Discord. Uh, no one no one wrote in in the last two weeks, so they were all on holiday breaks. Actually, no, that's not true. Brendan did write in, but he wrote a six paragraph that I have still not processed because I was truly on vacation. I didn't check my emails. I try not to check the socials. So, Brendan, I will get back to you on that very in depth question you asked. But for tonight's recording, what two questions do we have? All right. So Carlito wants to know. Is it possible to have live recordings in the future? Yeah, so we've we've been exploring that. Honestly, 
we have some ideas behind it. Uh, there's an there's a concept we want to do where we just basically hot mic myself and Jason stand on opposite sides of the exit and ask fans for their impressions and feelings of the match itself, and then kind of compile that all together as a ninety and ninety, if you will, on Monday or Tuesday. That's not like we just read out the scores and the major accomplishments of the game, and then all of the rest of the content is driven by the listeners and, and the fans of the club. We're going to have to see if that works out organically. In terms of a live show, it will never happen in the near future. There's We have to become better hosts before we can ever you know, just set foot in the live arena. Um, we would never do the listeners that kind of disservice and and and, <laughs> and showcase what we don't bring to the table on a, on a weekly basis. There's also some complications with live. Um, we try to keep this family friendly. Um, after a game, you know, tensions, passions running high. There can be uh, some swearing, maybe pe- people saying things they regret. So that can cause some problems too. It would be hard to uh, push that on our podcast. That would have to be something we would maybe just publish to YouTube you know, like a lawless land. Speaking of YouTube, I forgot to tell you the recent recording that we did, not the interviews, the two hour soccer wars. It was so long that the automated feed that I used to publish all the content across every app and every platform, it couldn't load it to YouTube because it was too long. Oh, okay. But they can load the, the 10 hour video of um, He-Man singing Hey Ya that yeah. I watch yeah. on a daily basis. I'd like to think that that video had less data than our rich recording. Oh yeah, you could probably put that on a floppy disk. <laughs> so yeah, but I was I was shocked. I kept trying to load it, kept saying failed, and then I looked at the detail error. It's like this is just too this is too big. You you just can't do this. So we got to keep them under two hours in the future. Um, and <laughs> any other questions? Yeah, and uh, Tim wants to know here if we are able to watch practice or games uh what do we think we will learn about the coach's playing style that we haven't already heard about on the podcast hmm so we we just covered a lot of that in, in terms of formation do you want to take a stab at at play style or anything that you think we might unpack or learn um i i think some of what we are um talking about is like we have to be it is speculation um Obviously, coach is not going to just straight up tell us his tactics. You know, you don't want it to be out there so that other teams know how to play against you. He's giving us vague ideas about maybe, you know, where the direction he wants the team. You know, like if you say, I want to control the ball, I want to be attacking, we want to be physical. I mean, a lot of teams play like that, right? So that's not an indicator of the style of play you're going to see on the field. They're just, certain attributes that you can use to describe what you're seeing. Um, the easiest, you know, for most people is comparisons, right? So once we get to see them, we could, you know, from there try and say, oh, well, they're kind of mixing pieces from, you know, they're they're doing tiki-taka, but they're also playing physical or, you know, like we'll, we'll be able to get a better picture of the style that he actually wants to play. So, you know, I I don't know if we're going to get to see too much of them before, you know, the inaugural game. But hopefully, you know, with the Bermuda thing, maybe there's there's something we can set up and kind of get a glimpse at what we might expect for the season. 
you know, I, I'm I'm hoping there's a, a media event where we can see a game ahead of time and they just you know, it gives like a sample so that people can write something nice in the in the inaugural match. I will say this though, independent of what we see in practice, if you look at some of the news that's been happening around the league, there are a lot of head coaches that have left in the last few weeks and gone to MLS or gone to other other places. So, you know, I, I said this in a tweet, but we've had 10 months to let Kano cook. And now all of these clubs are facing new leadership two weeks before preseason starts. Um, I think it's like seven clubs so far. There may, there may not need to be this like explosive blueprint of trying to be smarter. Coach may have, I mean, I know the players are just gelling for the first time, but you know, again, Coach has had this this roadmap that he's been working on, and you know he's made these decisions to to pick up the players that suit a style and a formation that he wants. And while we mostly talk about the formation, I think that that's going to give an advantage to Coach coming out the door. I will say though, in in terms of what we can expect to see, I've I've kind of been looking at this lineup. I think, and then if you listen to all of the people that have said attractive, goal scoring, you know, exciting soccer. I think one of the things we haven't really talked about is I don't think you're going to see a lot of clean sheets from our team. I think we're going to get scored on a lot, but I think the outcome will be that we are going to outscore every game. And 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 I think we have to come to terms with that. We have to be okay with that when we start to see that, whether that's in practice or that's in um, you know the first game, is, is I would not expect Coke Vegas to be standing on his head and have this brick wall park the bus mentality. I think we're going to be high risk, high reward. Look at look at the San Diego Loyal in their final game as a club. One of the best moments I've ever watched in soccer. And it came with amazing goal scoring and some really bad goals against. And I just I would not be surprised if we if we see some of that in the future. So expect to have your heart, you know, outside your body a lot of the times because you'll be freaking out or screaming at the top of your lungs. And that's what I would say we'll probably see more about from the playing style, especially with the way this this club is being set up. 4-3-3 with two wingbacks and, you know, Koke playing a high like they'll probably both they'll probably be playing a high press line all the time. Like it is going to be it's going to be utter chaos in a good way, but it'll be utter chaos. Does yeah. That, if, does that if, resonate with you? If you're not like hyper stressed out, are you even enjoying the game? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Take You got anything else? That's it's good to be back after the break. Uh, I feel like a bit rusty today. Maybe if we ever take another break again, I'll just have to like stand in the corner and talk to the wall to practice or something <laughs> i've been sitting here not knowing to, what to do with my hands like i forgot what i do normally in podcast time with my hands so yeah no the break was good i enjoyed it but uh i also i also miss doing this there's a there's a sense of structure and enjoyment to knowing on thursdays i get to see your beautiful face <laughs> yeah and i was like oh it's thursday oh it's not pod day Wonder thursdays what... is for the pods <laughs> all right with that note let's get out of here let's get out of here all right, guys, you can catch us on Twitter, Threads, and TikTok at RAFC Podcast. We have an Instagram at Raising Anchor, and we have a website, www.raisinganchorpodcast.com. Hey, new year, new anchors up. <laughs> new year, new anchors up.
Yeah, so we also picked up Stephen Turnbull, uh, 25 years old, 6 feet, uh, used to play for... He has, N- he has 6 feet. He doesn't have 2 feet. He only has 6 feet. Yeah, it actually gives him an advantage because <laughs> he has, you know, a lot more feet. 